Welcome to GYN Corner with Dr. McDaniel, all things health-related for women. Dr. McDaniel. Good morning. This is Dr. McDaniel. Today is Tuesday, June 11th, and I'm finishing up on postmenopausal bleeding or bleeding after menopause. The this is the third presentation, and um, the first two presentations I went into detail on each day on different aspects of the postmenopausal bleeding. So I'll give a recap, and then if one would like more detail. Um, Yesterday was the 10th, and then June 9th is when I started the information. So menopause is defined as a woman who is no longer menstruating due to the uh, ovarian function is uh, has depleted. So, and the um, hormones have been confirmed on blood tests their menopausal level and she has not menstruated for at least 12 months so one year of no menses and the hormones are consistent with menopause or she has menopausal symptoms uh, and she hasn't bled for over a year so any type of bleeding after menopause is considered abnormal it could be a little deal or it could be a big deal but it's not normal to bleed at all after menopause and any type of bleeding whether it's small uh, light, faint, uh, sporadic, or heavy should always be evaluated and investigated with a physician, um, preferably a gynecologist, because that's our training. Now, the evaluation for postmenopausal bleeding always involves an inspection or an examination of the genitalia, the labia, and the um, vaginal vault, including the cervix, to see if there's ulcerations, polyps, growths, uh, tears, <coughs> excuse me, abrasions or cuts, and then of course external hemorrhoids, which surprisingly a lot of women are not aware that they have hemorrhoids, uh, can also be the source of perceived abnormal bleeding or uterine bleeding after menopause. Once the physical exam has been completed and there is not an obvious source for the bleeding, then cultures are obtained. So urine cultures are obtained to confirm that the bleeding is not due to inflammatory changes from, from an infection. And um, that would be urine for an asymptomatic subclinical or atypical bladder infection and or chlamydia gonorrhea, which would be in the bladder. It's very rare uh, to find cervical vaginal chlamydia gonorrhea after menopause. Once those cultures are obtained and they're normal or negative, then we do a hormone evaluation. The hormones are always the same hormones, pituitary brain, thyroid, and the ovarian hormones. Uh, LH, FSH, and estradiol. If those are all normal and consistent with menopause, then an ultrasound or a sonogram is obtained. The ultrasound or sonogram is to confirm that there isn't any abnormal tissue buildup, masses, or growths in the uterus. Uh, one can have an, um, polyps, which are abnormal balls of blood vessels. Um, there could be abnormal tissue distribution, so a mass, shaggy mass, or a infiltrating mass, which would be concerning, or there could just be an, in, an enlarged or a thickening of the normal uterine lining. So once someone has gone through menopause, the lining where the blood builds up naturally should be inactive, and it should be three millimeters or less. 
Rarely are women on hormone replacement or systemic hormonal replacement now, but if she is, it should be five millimeters or less. Anyone with five millimeters or more of tissue buildup is considered to have an abnormal buildup of tissue. And in that case, you have to come back. Thanks. And in that case, then further evaluation be, should be conducted because there's too much tissue built up in the uterus. So if we find that the lining is thickened or there's a growth or a mass or um, any aberrations of the normal, then a biopsy should be obtained. Uh, one of two things could be done. Actually, a biopsy will be ideal, but to further ascertain if the sonogram findings are not really clear, then one can get a specialized sonogram called a saline infusion sonogram or a sonohistogram. And that is where about 10 cc's or less of fluid is inserted uh, into the uterine cavity. So that opens the uterine cavity so that the lining of the cavity can be seen more clearly. And that should only be done if there's a question about the lining. It looks thick, but maybe um, the details couldn't really be seen, or there's a question that maybe there's a small mass, but it's uncertain. So then that saline infusion line um, evaluation or sonogram, sorry, sonohistogram can be obtained to delineate the lining inside the uterus better because of the fluid contrast that it creates. <coughs> Now the one catch for doing that is that oftentimes women who have been menopausal for several years, their cervix is very, very tightly closed. We call that cervical stenosis. And if the cervix is stenotic, it's going to be extremely difficult to get the catheter through the cervix into the uterus to fill the uterus with fluid. Uh, in that case, if it's really necessary, then the patient can be given vaginal estrogen cream and the estrogen cream will soften and open the cervix and that's given for about a week. Um, I will usually ask the patient, I'll write for the cream, vaginal estrogen cream, one gram a night. She places it in the vagina every night before she goes to bed for a week. And then I'll ask her to come in and then I will dilate the cervix. So I'll open the cervix with um, dilators. An alternative to that can be Cytotec, which is a, um, a hormone basically that will cause uterine contractions and to slowly open the cervix. With the Cytotec, she can take those their pills. She can take the pills by mouth or she can do a vaginal insert if she has problems swallowing, but the pills are usually fairly small. Uh, for the Cytotec, then she doesn't need to do a whole week. She could do the Cytotec for two days before she comes into the office, three times a day for a day and a half, and then um, the cervical dilatation is performed. And both of those work well. The Cytotec causes cramping. The estrogen cream doesn't cause cramping, but it's a little bit more labor intensive because the patient has to place the cream every night before she goes to bed for a week. And then once the cervix is dilated, she can have the saline infusion sonogram done. If it's pretty clear that there's a abnormal buildup or a polyp or a growth, any, uh, any abnormality seen in the lining, there isn't a question, then the biopsy should be obtained. And one should always have a biopsy if the lining is not three millimeters or less 
or five millimeters if she's on hormone replacement or less, a biopsy should always be obtained because we need a tissue confirmation of what's going on in the uterus. So the biopsy, <coughs> I have Novak, um, Novak curettes, and they look like very skinny steel or metal straws. At the end, I place a, a syringe for negative pressure suction, and then um, the curate is placed in the uterus, and then I basically perform pretty much a DNC uh, if there's a lot of tissue. If there's hardly any tissue, then it's just a biopsy. I'll make three passes, and then if there is a good amount of tissue coming, I'll just clean out until it feels like the uterus is as clean as possible. And then that tissue is sent to pathology so they can confirm what the diagnosis is. I'm gonna hold I'm gonna hold off there. I thought this was gonna be the last presentation, but obviously um, I had a lot more to say than I thought I did. So I'm gonna finish there today with the completing the evaluation and the workup, and then tomorrow I'll go into the potential findings and the treatments. Thank you very much for watching. This is Dr. McDaniel at GYN Corner. It's Tuesday, June 11th. Please check out the YouTube channel. Uh, all of the presentations since I believe the 1st of April or the end of, end of March maybe um, are here, but they're also on the YouTube channel and easier to navigate to find the topic that you're interested in. Thanks a lot. Have a great day and I'll be back on Wednesday with more postmenopausal bleeding. for joining Dr. McDaniel at GYN Corner, all things health-related for women. Please subscribe and join us again soon for another episode.